0: All right, everybody, we are back from the green room at Vintage Grace Church after about a week off. You are listening to the Text Lab Podcast. David Kroll here. I am flying solo this morning as we dive into chapter 15 verses 1 through 11. Uh, Our goal here is to really just help equip you as the leader to go and make disciples who make disciples. So whether you're leading a group this week or just doing some deep diving on our own, we really hope that the Text Lab prepares and equips you to have conversations with those in your group this week or those you might talk to about what God has said to us in his word. So let's dive If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So much going on in this chapter this morning. You know, this is um, us getting to the end of the book of John, or in the upper room discourse. And now uh, we've talked about this shift for the last few weeks on the podcast. There's this change from Jesus focusing externally on doing ministry in Jerusalem to now focused internally on his disciples, really saying the last things to them to them before he goes to the cross. And the last week, was there was this focus on the return of Christ. He was assuring them and reassuring them, really, of his return, that he was going to leave, but that he would come back. And that even though he leaves, he's actually sending the Spirit to them to be with them now. So at the same time Jesus was leaving, the Spirit was also coming. And now the focus shifts from Jesus not talking about returning anymore, but now talking about remaining, talking about abiding In the vine and John 15... 1 through 11. In this section, Jesus says his last I am statement that he'll say in the book of John. There are seven I am statements all throughout the book of John and these are kind of these key statements where Jesus reveals something specific about his identity to his audience. And here he says that I am the true vine. You know, it's been interesting throughout the book of John as Jesus has used this different imageries of shepherd or bread, water, light. A lot of these all came from kind of ancient Jewish traditions that were happening around him at that time, whether that was at the festival of tabernacles and they were literally having a light competition. Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world, or they're literally filling these um, buckets and full of water. And Jesus says, if anyone's thirsty, let them come and drink. And Jesus said, I am the good shepherd when he's surrounded by sheep at a festival talking about Israel and the shepherds of Israel. Jesus has made these connections all along the way. And so now Jesus says this last I am statement that he is the vine. It's kind of interesting to think through where maybe is he pulling this from? Two possible places that Jesus is pulling this imagery from. The first one is that actually in the holy place by the altars, of the temple, there would have been these purple scarlet and blue flowers that would have been connected to make this vine in the first century in the Jewish temple. And wealthy citizens would bring gifts to the vine and add them onto them. There would be metal workers there to continue adding to this big vine that grew um, all throughout the temple as people donated gifts and added gifts and really kind of made this um, kind of incredible structure of this vine all throughout the temple. And Josephus even said that there were some of these great clusters on this vine that were as tall as a human being, that they would just make these huge kind of metallic structures. And so there's a possibility that Jesus uh, referenced this by the temple and that this would have been something familiar to them, that maybe he was by the temple teaching and praying. And they would have thought in their minds about this big vine um, that was that was in the temple. And, and Jesus is playing off that imagery. Another place that it comes from too is just the vine was a very well-known imagery throughout all of Judaism. Um, All throughout the Old Testament, uh, Israel is depicted as a vine that is supposed to be bearing fruit, and oftentimes it's chastised by God for not bearing fruit as God wants it to do. Isaiah 5, 3 through 5, is a great example of of this, where um, God is talking to Israel and he's telling him that he went to the vineyard, but he does not find any fruit there. When he looked for the grapes, the good grapes, there were no good grapes there um, that God could find. And so Jesus might be playing off of that imagery as well, which is incredible because Jesus kind of flips the imagery here. The same way he did this all throughout those other imageries that he's done, where he's talked about the, the light of the world, that Jesus is the light of the world, um, even though they were celebrating the light at the festival of the tabernacles. And now Jesus says, Israel, who was supposed to be this vine that bore fruit, they have not done that. But now Jesus himself is the vine. So just as the reader in the book of John, there's so much imagery that just plays on top of each other, one piece after one piece after another. And to notice that when you read the text just changes the way you understand it. Uh, To hear the depth that would have been in the imagery, even as Jesus talks about being the vine uh, that bears fruit, that he talks about as he is the true vine. Uh, Israel failed to bear fruit, but Jesus here is the one that actually produces the fruit. And so he says that in verse, verse one, he's the true vine his father's the vine dresser and in verse two that that every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it may bear more fruit there's really this imagery here of pruning of, of cleaning, of cutting things away so that more bear fruit may, may be born. And I think there's even something here for our life groups to think about. When are times and places in your life when God has been in a season of pruning? Where uh, has he been doing that work maybe now in your life? Thinking about all the different things happening us, around us. Maybe this is a season of pruning that Jesus is doing in our lives, a season of pruning that God is bringing about. And what fruit has been born in this season that maybe wouldn't otherwise have occurred? Heard. Where have you seen God pruning? Where have you seen Him uh, pruning your own heart? Uh, maybe our own church body collectively, our own society, and and maybe what is God doing in this season as pruning is can be a painful process. There's this process of branches being cut away, but that cutting away of the branches leads to fruit. I think verse three is interesting here, where Jesus says, "You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you." And you remember when Jesus is was washing the disciples' feet, uh, He says something similar similar to Peter, about being clean. And I think Jesus here is referring to his righteousness that covers us. Uh, he's telling them, you are already clean because the word I've spoken to you, the word of God that has been presented to the disciples that saves them through Christ's work on the cross. This ultimately makes them clean. It makes them clean in a righteousness before God that Jesus covers them. His righteousness covers them. They're clean because of that. But now he's telling them, what does the process look like to bear fruit. How can you then bear fruit in your life? And he tells us in verse four and five, he says that apart from me, you ultimately can do nothing. A branch cannot bear fruit by itself. It has to remain in the vine. It has to abide in the vine. And he, Jesus goes so far in verse five to say, apart from me, you can do nothing at all. There's a Dallas Willard quote where he says, the Christian life is what you do when you realize you can do nothing. And he's talking about the John right here, chapter 15, saying, so what do you do in the Christian life if you can do nothing? Well, the one thing that you can do is you can abide in the vine. You can't bear fruit by yourself. You can't um, make good works, good deeds come out of your life by your own actions by your own effort, by your own willpower. But the one thing that you can do is remain attached to Jesus as the branch, remain attached to Jesus as the vine, as the one who will bear fruit in your life. And this is a a, a statement from Jesus now where he's talking about the internal life, the internal spiritual life of what does it mean mean to remain with God? What does it mean to abide in God? What does it mean to dwell with him every single day As a disciple, as one who is living desperate and dependent on Jesus all of the time. Those are things that we talk a lot about at VG. And here is an example where Jesus is saying that himself. What does it look like to remain desperate and dependent on me? Because truly apart from me, you can do nothing. As Jesus is the only one that can bear fruit in our lives. Israel could not do it. They continually failed to bear the fruit that God had commanded them to bear. But there is a vine that can bear fruit. There is a vine that does produce that fruit, but it's only Christ who does that. He is the only one that can bring that about in our lives. He's the only one that can bring that about because of what he has done through his life and through his life and death and resurrection of what he has already accomplished, what he has already done. And the only way for us as followers of Jesus to bear fruit is by abiding in him. And it's this pruning process that is happens in our lives through which the fruit is brought about. Jesus makes that abundantly clear over and over again in this text. He says that in verse 2. And then he says that again in verse six, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. There's this pruning process that happens for the branches that don't bear fruit and ultimately for anyone that is not abiding in Jesus. The definition for a disciple of Jesus is someone who is abiding in him and bearing fruit. That is how the world will see that we are Jesus' disciples. Jesus says that in verse 8, that by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This is a part of a larger theme throughout the book of John about the word belief. John is using the word believe over and over again in the book of John. Jesus says, come and believe in me. And John has really just been defining what does it mean to believe in Jesus. And he's continually saying it doesn't mean to, um, to a set of theological, kind of statements. It doesn't mean to just be a religious or spiritual person. The person who believes in Jesus is the one who abides in him and bears much fruit. Our belief in Jesus is demonstrated through our actions. It's demonstrated by obeying his commandments. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus is abundantly clear that um, uh, discipleship and belief in him looks like action that is what shows what we truly believe is how we live our lives what we follow what we do where we spend our time and ultimately whose commandments do we obey who ultimately sits on the throne of our hearts and so Jesus tells us here that the world will know we are his disciples by the fruit that we bear that that as we bear much fruit we will prove to the world that we are disciples of Jesus. Now there's an interesting reference here. Back in verse nine, Jesus says that as we abide, as we keep his commandments, um, and basically, and back to verse seven, that as his words abide in us, that ask whatever we wish that it will be done for us. This is a reference back to chapter 14, where Jesus said very, something similar, um, that if we obey him, whatever we ask in his name will be done for us. And I think this here's another reference to the intimacy to the union, to the the connection that God has designed for us to have as disciples with him. That as we're walking with Jesus, we would be abiding and remaining in him in such a way that his will becomes our will. His desires become our desires. And so ultimately that our prayers become so matched with the prayers of Jesus that whatever we ask in his name will be done. That we'll ask whatever of him and that it will be done. Done for us. ask whatever you wish to be done for you. Jesus is not talking about again us getting anything we want in these verses, but what He is talking about is our will being transformed in such a way that it matches the will of our heavenly Father. And so, prayer becomes just an extension of our life with God. We're living with Him, with Him in such union that our desires become matched to the same desires that God has, and we begin to same pray the same thoughts and prayers after God, the same thoughts and prayers that God has, the same things that he desires for us. Jesus is here just kind of painting a picture of what that type of unity looks like between us and the Father, that type of depth in our spiritual life, um, that type of continued fellowship and intimacy between us and the father i think there's so many questions for our life groups to discuss coming out of this passage um just right off the bat of what are the things that are keeping us from abiding in jesus what are the distractions what are the other voices what are the obstacles what are just these things that pull us away from daily intimacy daily union with christ um I think another question is just what does it actually look like to abide in Jesus? What does that uh, pragmatically mean as we live and walk and um, engage with people in conversation or text message on our phone or as you watch a show, as you go to um, your kid's sports game or play, as you go to work, as you're at your cubicle, as you're driving in the car right now? How do you do all of those things yet you're continually doing them with God? You're continually abiding in him. Um, as you do all of those things. Jesus is abundantly clear that the only place that f- fruit will come from in our life is as we abide in him. And so what does it look like as we do everything single, normal, and ordinary thing throughout our day, how is that still kingdom living? How do we live in the kingdom? How do we abide and do those things with God? Sometimes we're really good at doing things for God, but we don't always do things with God. And how do we do those things with God? Knowing that truly, uh, John 15, five, apart from me, you can do nothing. Uh, We can't do it on our own. We can only do them with God through his spirit pouring out of our life. This This section of scripture ends in verse 11 of these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Man, this is uh, a verse that really summarizes everything that the Good Life series is about in the book of John, that all of these things, abiding in Jesus, obeying his commands, remaining in him, they're done so that Jesus' joy, that God's joy may be in us and that our joy may be full not any sort of lesser joy, not any sort of partial joy, but full joy in Jesus. And incredibly, as Jesus says this in verse 11, a joy that only comes from Christ. It's not a joy that we manifest by ourselves. It's not a joy that we uh, come up with on our own effort or through our own willpower or that we kind of try to just manufacture in our lives. It's a joy that comes only from Jesus That is only possible as we live and walk in the way of Jesus, as we remain and abide in him and his spirit lives in us. And ultimately his life is recreated in our hearts and in our souls. That is when we experience that type of joy. It's a joy that does not come from ourselves, nothing that we can come up with on our own. We're desperate, independent, apart from him, we can do nothing. But there's a joy that is in Jesus alone that can live in our hearts and flow out of our hearts, a joy put in us from Christ. And it's a fullness of joy. It is a joy that is from Jesus that's an that's a, a extension of himself in us and the joy that he had as he relied on God the Father and walked in obedience to the Father's will. And ultimately, that's the only true joy in this world. Everything else is a false joy. Everything else is a partial joy. But only in Jesus is there fullness of joy, perfect joy that Jesus has now that he has had for all and will have for all of eternity that's only in him. As I think about um, just application for this passage, my mind goes to just abiding in Jesus. What does that actually look like To, to try to live less out of our own effort, out of our own ability and more? out of an effort and ability that comes only from Jesus, because truly, apart from him, we can do nothing. What does it look like to wake up in the morning and to first pray, Jesus, today I'm desperate and dependent on you. Jesus, apart from you today, I can do nothing. All of life today is only possible with you flowing through me. Only uh, a fruit that can come out of my heart and soul isn't uh, my own ability to be a good person or be a good Christian. It is only through you flowing out of me. Only by remaining in the vine and uh, remaining in you will good fruit flow out of me today. And so what does that just look like to live from that place? I think for me, part part of the time is just remembering that, trying to remind myself of that on a daily basis, trying to remind myself of that every single morning uh, when I wake up every single evening before I go to bed, to just continue to remember and to remain and abide. A lot of the times that's just taking moments to pause, to step away from the noise, and just, just take a moment to remain and abide fully in Jesus. And then I think, what does it look like to just do all things with God as you go through it your day? As you uh, are at work or at school, what does it look like to be with God in all of those moments? I had a friend once that uh, told me that, it was, that, that doing this was, he was trying to turn his self-talk into God talk. And I love the way he said that. Uh, to turn his self-talk into God talk. A lot of times we have a lot of thoughts, a lot of emotions, a lot of feelings. What does it look like just to be with God in all of those things? That a lot of times the voices in our head that we're talking through or, or things that we're processing or emotions that we're feeling, what would it be like just to be with God in all of those things? To turn your self-talk into God talk and to just to have an ongoing conversation with God all throughout the day as you remain and abide in him. I believe that as we do that, as we remain, as we abide, as we dwell with him, uh, that's where Jesus says the fruit will come. We can't do it on our own. It only comes as we remain and abide in him because ultimately he is the only branch that can bear fruit. Israel couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. Jesus is the only vine that can bear fruit. He does what we were not able to do. And he's doing that right now in our life as well. And so as we remain in him uh, and abide in him fully, fruit will be, come out of our life. Our lives will bear fruit. Well, thanks for to you, the listener, for being a friend of the pod and for spending your time with us. My promise to you is that we're always going to do our best to make this time valuable. If it's helped you in any way, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. So whether today you are at the gym, cleaning the house or mowing the lawn, driving in the car, whatever you like to do while listening to podcasts, we hope you feel equipped, encouraged, and ready to walk through the text with your group this week. As always, do your own prep. Let the Spirit lead you. We hope that this podcast has just equipped you to know that you are one who's sent by God this week into your family, your school, into work, into Starbucks, the gym, soccer practice, wherever your Pray Watch community might be, to go there and be the living proof of our loving God. We love you guys, and we'll catch you next time on The Text Lab.